Greetings and welcome to this, our fourth Souls in Our Souls episode. Although this program is specifically designed for the Catholic Churches of St. Elizabeth and Seton and St. Henry's, we believe that anyone who is attempting to find and follow the path of truth and who is searching for directions that point the way to that path can benefit from our podcast. We invite all of you to join us as we travel together in this world in order to live eternally with God in the next. Hi, I'm Deacon Tim Vaughn, and in this, our fourth episode, I'm going to talk about the importance of the religious practice of fasting. One of the recognized disciplines of Lent. The subject is really more intriguing than it sounds. Trust me. But before we plunge into the depths of fasting, let us turn to God in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, news for those in the pews. The St. Joseph Bake Sale this Sunday will take place at both St. Henry's and St. Elizabeth Ann Seton churches after Masses. All proceeds will benefit Our Lady's Altar Society of both churches for the good works that they do. On Wednesday, March 23rd at 6.30 p.m. at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish Hall, Deacon Bill Rimmert of St. Francis University Parish in Tuscaloosa will be given a talk on spiritual direction in the church and how to help a person develop a closer relationship with God and to better discern how the Holy Spirit is leading in their life. And remember that Stations of the Cross are being offered during Lent each Wednesday at 6 p.m. at St. Henry's and every Friday night at 6 p.m. at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Come and live together Christ's passion through participating in the Stations of the Cross. If you remember in our exciting episode, The History of Lent, we spent our time together considering the season of Lent in general. We discussed where Lent got its name, its schedule, and its length. Likewise, we covered the origins of Ash Wednesday and how the observance of Lent in the Western Catholic Church differs in certain respects from the Eastern Rite Church. In this segment, we're going to begin examining the disciplines of Lent And as I said previously, we're going to begin with fasting. Fasting is a practice of strengthening and transforming the soul to prepare for the coming of Christ to us. Not only during the season of Lent, but over the course of the entire church year. Additionally, fasting is the preparation of our souls 
for going to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus tells us, But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Fasting with the proper spiritual orientation can fashion our souls to become increasingly pure, strong righteousness, and loving, so they will fit through that small, narrow gate. During this episode, I want to bear in mind a little-known quote of George MacDonald. It helps to emphasize how I want us to consider all the Lenten disciplines, but specifically this segment on fasting. Here's what George MacDonald said. We talk as if we possess souls instead of being souls. But here is the same concept, but simplified. It is a quote that is often incorrectly attributed to C.S. Lewis. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body. With these quotes in mind, I would like us to think all about the disciplines of Lent in terms of transforming who we truly are, a soul. By using this 40-day journey of penitence and purging, our purpose is to arrive at a different state of being. That state of being allows us to experience being born again and in the Spirit in this Easter season as we read in John chapter 3, verse 5. During that time, we repeat our baptismal promises by reciting the Apostles' Creed, and we are blessed with holy water, recalling our original baptism. What we are pursuing is return to the state of grace that was bestowed when we were first baptized, but that we have lost by simply living in this broken and sinful world. In general, I want you to grasp that the purpose of Lenten disciplines is to prepare our souls to return more fully to a state of grace by using those disciplines to generally transform our state of being. With this general purpose in mind, let us return to a specific application to fasting. You may be asking this question, how did this withholding food from my body transform the state of being of my soul? That is an interesting question and one that we really need to delve into. You might recall the reply that Jesus gives after the devil tries his first temptation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasting is not easy. In fact, it can be downright painful to deny ourselves good things, desirable things, needed things. However, when we offer up that pain as our sacrifice to Jesus in acknowledgement and thanksgiving of his ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our sake, that pain becomes transformative. Focusing on ourselves as souls rather than bodies takes practice. 
It takes using our will to decide to humbly be dependent on God utterly and completely. Fasting is an active way to mindfully will ourselves to feed on God's word and to fill our souls with his presence instead of being ruled by our bodily appetites. Let us look at the characteristics of a good fast, one that is undertaken thoughtfully with the goal of being transformed. The first aspect of a good fast is that it is offered to God in a way that is pleasing. Listen to the words of St. Maximus the Confessor, who offers some instruction about what is not a pleasing fast. What is the point to be pale-faced through fasting when you become livid with bitterness and envy? What is the point of not drinking wine when you become drunk with the poison of anger? What is the point of abstaining from meat, which was created to be eaten, with tearing your brother limb from limb with malice? St. Maximus definitely nailed what is a bad fast looks like. It is not pleasing to God and in no way restores our state of grace by transforming our souls. As he points out, we become miserable and cruel while eating less food. We aren't really fasting at all. True fasting involves turning to God and away from our earthly appetites, including the appetites for anger, envy, and so on. If fasting from foods results in spiritual struggles elsewhere in our lives, perhaps we need to adjust our type of fasting from food to a behavior, for example. In this way, our fasting does not cause more harm than good for ourselves and those around us. On the other hand, St. Thomas Aquinas describes in Summa Theologiae a good fast that can be benefit to the souls. In his words, fasting is practical for a threefold purpose. He states, first, in order to bridle the lust of the flesh. Second, we have recourse to fasting in order that the mind may arise more freely to the contemplation of heavenly things. Hence, it is related of Daniel that he received a revelation from God after fasting for three weeks. Third, in order to satisfy for sins, wherefore it is written, be converted to me with all your heart and fasting and in weeping and in mourning. The same is declared by Augustine in a sermon. Fasting cleanses the soul, raises the mind, subjects one's flesh to the spirit, renders the heart contrite, humbles the clouds of concupiscence, quenches the fire of lust, kindles the true light of chastity. And, as St. Francis de Sales points out, although we may be able to do but little, the enemy, nevertheless, stands more in awe of those whom he knows can fast. These saints agree that fasting 
is merely the bodily discipline around food. Yes, that all is well and good, but the real point is to draw closer to God and become more in tune with His will for our eternal souls. Fasting is simply a means to this ultimate end. Almost all the great men and women of God throughout history have known a secret, the secret of fasting that is transformative for the soul. They have understood the power and privilege of fasting that grows from the understanding that we cannot fast unless we have God's permission. But when God permits us to fast, we have the opportunity to be in the forefront of his work. We are honored to be chosen to have such an important part of the spiritual movement. Fasting is a power, privilege, opportunity, and honor, but only for those who know the secret and recognize the end goal. Possibly the Lord will tell you to fast for a special intention, because fasting can make an average person more spiritually powerful than religious leaders political figures, or billionaires. Satan, of course, will try to make fasting as difficult as possible. However, the Lord's grace will give you victory. Fasting can break you free from the lethargy of spiritual anorexia and give you a healthy appetite for feasting spiritually on God's word, the Eucharist, and communal prayer. So to recap, engaging in fasting together with the proper spiritual orientation brings us closer to God and deepens our love for Him. It increases our humility by teaching us that we are ultimately dependent on God for our our very lives. Fasting provides us with a crucial weapon against every worldly and demonic force that will seek to take away our eternal life with God. Finally, if we fast, we freely choose God over worldly satisfaction. We can experience the joy of the superior benefits of eternal pursuits over temporal ones. Now, I would like us to consider the history of fasting. Over time, the definition of fasting has changed somewhat and its practice has changed a great deal. Traditionally, fasting means an abstaining from food and or drink. Fasting has been practiced in various forms from very ancient times for reasons as varied as ending droughts, success in hunting, strength in battle, or accomplishing rites of passage. In very remote times, reasons for fasting were so obscured that they really made no sense at all. However, over the years, fasting became almost exclusively a religious practice that was undertaken for spiritual purposes. The foundation of Judeo-Christian practices date back to the creation of Adam and Eve. In the beginning, among the very first commandments God gave to them was to fast from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as we read in the second chapter of Genesis, verses 16 and 17. Their failure to observe this fast brought sin and disorder to all of creation. Thus, the original sin of mankind includes a dimension of gluttony.
Clearly, both this divine command and its violation are eccentrically tied to fasting. The Christian practice of fasting grew out of Jewish traditions of fasting being a fervent prayer to God for the purpose of worship, penance, atonement, repentance, mourning, or seeking God's favor. The idea that made fasting one's prayer more acceptable to God. This was a way of demonstrating one's level of commitment before the Lord. Fasting was a very physical way of humbling oneself before God. These ideas remain valid today. As the old adage goes, actions speak louder than words. By the time of Jesus, Jewish fast had been codified by the religious authorities of the day. The Pharisees commonly fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays from dawn to sunset, abstaining from all food. There were also four public fasts ordained by the prophets that were observed, the most important being the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Additionally, when there was a death in a family, fasting was undertaken as a sign of mourning. In the early church, fasting was instituted as a part of Christian practice from the very first. However, Christian fasting and abstinence from meat occurred on Wednesdays and Fridays to differentiate it from the fasting of the Jewish Pharisees. Weekly Christian fasting also differed in that the fast was kept from dawn to three in the afternoon, the hour when Jesus died. Any fast at three in the afternoon is still practiced in some instances today by Eastern Rite and traditional communities. The habit of fasting for an extended period in preparation for Easter developed gradually and with considerable diversity of practice. As late as the later part of the second century, there are differing opinions regarding the matter of Paschal fast. In 331 AD, Saint Athanasius required his flock to fast for a period of 40 days before beginning a stricter fast during Holy Week itself. After having traveled throughout much of the known world in 339 AD, Saint Athanasius wrote to urge the people of Alexandria to also observe this same pre-Easter fasting, so to make it universally practiced in the church. He wrote, To the end that all the world is fasting, we are in Egypt, should not become a laughingstock, as the only people who do not fast, but take our pleasure in those days. The ordinary rule on Lenten fasting days in the early church was to take but only one meal a day, and that was only after sunset. Originally, the faithful were to abstain from all meat, including fish, and meat products, including dairy and eggs. Oil was also forbidden, so vegetables could only be cooked with water. Wine was also prohibited, with the exception of one glass on Sundays after Mass. These harsh fasting rules were known as Black Fast. 
By the 10th century, the custom of taking only one meal of the day was moved up to three in the afternoon. By the 14th century, the meal was allowed at midday. Soon after that modification, the practice of an evening snack became common. A morning snack was introduced in the early 19th century. By comparison, the modern USCCB fasting guidelines are downright easy. Nowadays, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are the only days of obligation for fasting and abstinence. Fridays during Lent are days of obligation for abstinence from meat. For members of the Western Catholic Churches, the norms of fasting are obligatory from 18 until ages 59. When fasting, a person is permitted to eat one full meal as well as two smaller meals or snacks that together are not equal to a full meal. The norms concerning the abstinence from meat are binding upon those ages 14 and onward. Of course, the idea of fasting can also include abstaining from specific activities and behaviors as part of one's Lenten discipline. Fasting from such things as cursing, video games, speeding, social media, bad habits, and so forth can deepen our spiritual preparation for the celebration of the resurrection. Next time, we'll be considering the Lenten discipline of prayer, for prayer can be the vehicle that carries us through this Lenten season so that we arrive in good order at Eastertide. Let us close with the Hail Mary asking for help for keeping a good fast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Before we close, I would like to thank my co-writer and editor, Mrs. Linda Hurley, for writing this episode. Thank you for all your help, and God bless you and your family. Until we meet again, may God bless you, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember Jesus' words, Wide is the road to destruction. And so we remind you to stay on the path, and we ask that St. Raphael, the Archangel of Travelers, God speed you on your sojourn.